faithwire.com. The SBC abuse report has been released. Russell Moore and others are offering strong, strong reactions. Today is Monday, May 23rd, 2022. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have that top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. We'd love to have you with us as we go through the news of the day. From a Christian perspective, with me today as always, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's Fake Wire with a look at what is coming up on today's podcast. Happy Monday to you guys. What's going on? Well, just, you know, waiting for the weekend here. I mean, <laughs> just left it. And right out of the shoot on Monday. <laughs> yeah, just... I mean. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I hear it'll you. It'll be here. It'll be here quickly. Indeed. But, uh, in the meantime, Billy, you're living the dream, I assume. <laughs> as always. As always. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to be talking about a major magazine has turned its latest issue into, quote, a state-by-state handbook for anyone in need of abortion. So we'll talk Mm. about that. And we're going to be talking about a Georgia pastor who was brutally and tragically murdered. We'll have all the details for you. Yeah, definitely a prayer request for that one. Um, And we'll look forward to the details on all of those stories more coming up here on the podcast. But we're going to start... Uh, with the SBC uh, sexual abuse allegation report that is out now, um, the SBC executive committee last year, they, if you remember, they voted to have this end- independent firm, which ended up being Guidepost Solutions, look in to these allegations. And it's a 288-page re- uh, report, and in it, there is a lot in it, but survivors talked about... Um, reporting abuse to quote only be met time and time again with resistance stonewalling and even outright hostility from some within the executive committee so this took seven months this investigation so this was pretty thorough um they also found that in the report that it was just a few senior ec uh, that's the executive committee there which we'll go ec uh controlled the responses to the reports of abuse so um, you, you had this funneling effect sort of where all these major sort of reactions and responses were coming from just a few of these senior leaders. And so that's kind of where they narrowed that down to. Um, but from the report, though, those leaders that were kind of controlling a lot of these reactions were, quote, singularly focused on avoiding liability for the SBC. And this I'll read from the report. It said, in service of this goal, survivors and others who reported abuse were ignored, disbelieved, or met with the constant refrain that the SBC could take no action due to its policy regarding church autonomy, even if it meant that convicted molesters continued in ministry with no notice or warning to the current church or congregation. So that's quite a charge right there. Um, Just talking about how they they were just worried about liability focus because they had outside counsel with them, lawyers, etc. when they were Uh, dealing with these sorts of things. So the report also goes on to allege that the SBC had a list and uh, this list supposedly contained hundreds of Baptist ministers who had been convicted of abuse. This is over, you know, 10, 20 years. And the report said that there's no evidence that the SBC took any action to ensure that the accused ministers were no longer in positions of power at SBC churches. And so you got reactions coming into this. Of course, SBC President Ed Litton said he's, quote, grieved to my core, end quote, about the report. Russell Moore, of course, formerly of the SBC, he issued a lengthy response 
and he wrote in part that the cri- that crisis is too small a word. It's an apocalypse that was in Christianity Today. And he said, as, a, as dark a view as I had of the SBC Executive Committee, the investigation uncovers a reality far more evil and systemic uh, than I imagined it could be. And so the report details some specific cases, including uh, there's a woman named Krista Brown who's been outspoken against the SBC. She says she was sexually assaulted or abused as a teen by the youth minister at her church, which was an SBC church. And she was told not to talk about it by church leaders at the time. There's also this story of Johnny Hunt, who's a pastor in Georgia, past SBC president, that he sexually assaulted another pastor's wife during a beach vacation back in 2010. He just resigned on May 13th from his position in the SBC as senior vice president of the North American Mission Board. And in this report, Hunt is described as after this alleged assault took place, he organized a meeting with uh, himself, the woman involved in it, and uh, well, the victim in this case, uh, and the woman's husband and a counseling pastor. And Hunt admitted to touching the victim, quote, inappropriately inappropriately, end quote, but said, quote, thank God I didn't consummate the relationship, end quote. So that's just a taste of what some of these uh, specific instances are in the report, the 288-page report that's out now. Beth Moore, no relation to Russell Moore, she said she, quote, lacks sufficient words, end quote, at the report while uh, kind of posting Russell Moore's reaction to it. And she quoted uh, Russell Moore, who had said in his report, quote, in sectors of today's SBC, women wearing leggings is a social media crisis. Dealing with rape in the church is a distraction. Um, And Beth Moore talked about how um, some faithful SBC people were gaslit and cast out in the 80s and 90s for suggesting not everything about the, quote, conservative resurgence, end quote, was of pure intent and that there was also serious political agendas within and without. And she talked about that some people had their reputations ruined, etc. And then now this truth is sort of coming to light. And she said, the question is, will we humble ourselves and learn, or will we keep repeating the same pattern? So the report, what do they recommend? Um, Among the recommendations, they want to form an independent commission and later establish a permanent administrative entity to oversee comprehensive long-term reforms concerning sexual abuse and related misconduct within the SBC, um, create and maintain an offender information system to alert the community to known offenders. Side note, you know you might have a problem if you need to have an offender information system to file away all the offenders you've got in your church. Um, Provide a comprehensive resource toolbox, including protocols, training, education, and practical information, and restrict the use of non-disclosure agreements and civil settlements, which bind survivors and confidentiality and sexual abuse matters unless requested by the survivor. So uh, why does it matter, guys? There's obviously a lot here. There's a lot more we could go through. Um, you just take a look at CBNnews.com and FaithWire.com if you want to read more about this Uh, report that is out now but obviously how churches handle these sorts of things uh, they're not easy issues often it's not black and white a lot of the time so it's difficult and churches really need to make sure that they're buttoned up on on their process and how they handle an accusation and to take it seriously it might not end up being something that 
maybe the church, you know, maybe it's difficult and the church doesn't know exactly what to do. It might be, might be a very challenging situation, but churches should be ready for these cases and prepare for them. Um, because look, it's a, it's a sinful world. It's a broken world. And I think a lot of times we can get comfortable in our church and people get very comfortable in their patterns and their surroundings and then don't want that to be disturbed. And so there's get, like a lot of resistance whenever sort of the, the goodness of that situation is challenged. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with an organization, a massive organization is that you're always going to have a go-to at least most of the time to, to defend the organization or yeah. preserve it or not to harm it, you know, and right now what you have regardless, and I'm not saying in this particular case, that was what was going on. Cause we don't know all the details yet. Um, but you know, you have a situation where the organization is being hurt much more now with a collection of these allegations and claims coming out at the same time in a massive report, right? Mm. Whereas if you were dealing with things one-on-one and as they came, it it might look a little different, but that is one of the challenges to denominational living is that you're going to have, you're going to have some of that. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Johnny Hunt. Johnny Hunt put out a statement yesterday uh, saying he was aware of, you know, this information, but that he denies, he said, I, Quote, I vigorously deny the circumstances and characterizations set forth in the guidepost report. I have never abused anybody. Mm. And so there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of back and forth on this. And I think the big thing for me, the tragic thing is that the people who are out there saying, you know, or maybe even people on the edge of faith wondering if they should try it out or if there's something to God, they see stories like this and they just want to flee. And you understand why somebody would want to not fully grasping the core of the gospel when they look again organizationally at these claims whether they're whether it's all true or not is beside the point the fact that this is happening is uh detrimental really to the faith hmm. yeah and you know i think it's a like you said bill and like you said dan this is just a report at this point none of it has been proved or officially you know, verified we're waiting on all of those details to kind of come but i think this is just a cautionary tale about the prevalence of sin wherever human beings are whether it's within church or without church is look there a lot of this is is kind of the result of pride right because you're potentially wanting to protect the organization and your allegiances to an organization and this I'm not I don't want to say that this only happens in the SBC or it only happens in Christian circles or Catholic circles that's it happens anywhere anywhere that there's a collection of people and those people are, are have pledged an allegiance to an organization uh, the bottom line happens in colleges and universities all the time like, this is why colleges have issues with sexual assault is because the the end goal is to protect the entity um, rather than the individual people, or at least that, that can be the, the pattern you unfortunately fall into. Um, and as Christians, I just want to echo what you were saying, Billy, our allegiance is to the gospel. So how we handle this, whether all of the claims end up coming out as, as completely authentic or not, how we handle it is what matters. Uh, as Christians, we need to handle it in a way that is edifying and is also gospel-centered uh, and caring for those who have potentially been very wronged here. And part of caring for them is is weeding out the potential abusers from the organization, right? So I, I think there there are a lot of layers to this, and that's just one of them. Another is the fact that Christians, for good reason, are already kind of skeptical of the mainstream media because mm. they're looking for a yeah. scalp all the time. Right. Um, so it's easy to kind of 
we can read stories on CNN or ABC, you know, wherever, and we can kind of our knee jerk reaction is it's to just dismiss eye roll it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's not true. So, but we need to be careful not to automatically do that, but to also remember, look, okay, these are not always going to be people who are wanting to portray us in a good light. They have their own motivations. So how do we parse this and find where the facts are? So there are yeah. many layers here yeah. uh, and the, the details will, will have to play themselves out in the days to come. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a lot in this podcast, but we should definitely be discerning people who try to see through the framing of things. Cause like you said, Trey, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that mainstream media outlets are going to be chomping at the bit to report this. They love this. I mean, you don't see them leaping all over the recent report that 135 public school teachers have been arrested for sexually assaulting or engaging sexually in some way with students. So, so uh, you know, you, you don't see them jumping at the bit to kind of make a big national headline out of that. Um, yeah. and, and that's just so far in 2022 and we're halfway through the year. So like, cause they yeah. could easily portray it as, you know, it, it, cause if they put the full weight of the media behind it, you would then be left with the impression that, oh my goodness, I can't go to a public school. My kid's going to get assaulted. Like, which, which of course isn't the case. Um, but you should still, the, the truth remains, take those, uh, those things seriously when a teacher's doing this and what practices are they putting in place to make sure that it doesn't happen again. We can do the same things as churches. We can take these allegations seriously. I, I think it just goes without saying, I think that's a, one of the big takeaways from the recent surge of all these cases is take it seriously. I mean, what is the harm in taking the 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 accusation seriously and doing your best to find out what happened? That that should be something that um, you know every Christian would want to do. I mean, you can't get to the truth of the matter if you don't take the allegations seriously in the first place and just sort of brush it off. So, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Um, but well, I was going to say, you know, politically too, you know, like where we are right now, like you were saying, Trey, we don't want to believe, we only want to believe what our side, you know, is, is saying, or, you know, we always want to assume whatever the other side is saying. And this is a right. little different with this kind of issue, but I think the broader point is that we have to be discerning all the time. And even if somebody is saying something and I don't like that person, or I don't agree with what that person generally says, making sure that we actually vet it and understand it. If we don't do that, we're missing a lot of important information because a lot of times there are going to be true things that we dismiss as false and we're called to the truth, right? So I think we just, we have to underscore that it's essentially important and it's convicting to me, you know, even, even thinking through, because I think that's what we're rewarded to do now in this culture is just mm -hmm. to dismiss mm -hmm. the other side. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. This is a good opportunity. Like we say, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you pay, you pray for the president in office as a Christian. And I think this is similar. Whether you like the SBC, have issues with it because of this report, whatever, you know, pray for the, obviously the alleged survivors of abuse, but also pray for the people in power, pray for the executive committee, the, the leaders in the SBC, that they'll be wise and they'll be discerning and that they'll handle this uh, in a gospel-oriented way. So... All right, story number two. So with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision decision on Dobbs versus J Jackson Women's Health Organization looming, we don't have an exact date when the opinion is going to officially drop, but we do have the leaked opinion, uh, which shows that the court is supposedly, it looks like, poised to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, the precedent established in, by Roe v. Wade in 1973, which granted nationwide legal cover for abortion, this Dobbs case uh, would 
overturn that by ruling in favor of a Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks. So, with that context, the New York Magazine has turned its latest issue into, quote, a state-by-state handbook for people wanting abortions. Uh, So, like I said, the justices are expected to release their official ruling any day now. Uh, Once it's handed down, abortion will become more of a state's rights issue as opposed to a federal issue, uh, which is the motivation behind the magazine's cover story, which is bright pink with yellow writing that says, this magazine can help you get an abortion. Uh, And then, like I said, it says it's a handbook uh, for state-by-state, a state-by-state handbook for people looking for abortion services. So according to a statement from the magazine, they wrote, As the nation grapples with the consequences of Roe v. Wade's likely demise, the May 23rd through June 5th issue of New York Magazine features a practical guide reported by Camille Squires and introduced by Iron Carmen to the abortion clinics in each state, how to reach them, and the services they offer, plus a guide to eight... Plus a guide in eight parts of where to seek services if abortion is banned or further restricted in your state. And then Lindsay Peoples, the editor-in-chief of The Cut, which is a website owned by New York Magazine, said that the outlet printed its first guide to find abortion services in 1972, uh, one year before the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade. Uh, She said, I'm incredibly proud of the Cut team for introducing this exhaustively researched guide as both a print and digital endeavor. My goal for the Cut is always to be a a resource uh, for whatever women need, and we are committed to making this guide available for free to all who need them. Uh, So the online version of the story uh, in addition to being a report uh, on on the you know, Roe v. Wade and, and the potential overturning of it, uh, it gives women seeking abortions a place to, quote, search by zip code for <laughs> professional providers, including clinics, hospitals, and independent OBGYNs, as well as abortion funds, transportation options, and information for remote resources like receiving the abortion pill by mail. Uh, So if nothing else, I think this story is a good reminder uh, to us that the media, like we were just talking about in the first story, is far from being objective uh, when it comes to this stuff, Uh, really anything, but particularly on issues like sexuality and, of course, uh, abortion. So, But I think, you know, this magazine just highlights the need uh, for pro-life advocates to shift their focus from being a federal issue uh, with Roe to being a state's issue uh, in the days ahead, because that's where the new battlegrounds are going to be in the fight to protect uh, unborn lives. Uh, so pro-life advocate Abby Johnson, she's obviously a former clinic a director for Planned Parenthood. She's talked about this several times, uh, really since the beginning of the year, uh, when the Dobbs case kind of, uh, you know, bubbled to the to the surface. Um, And she said that she believes in the future things will get exponentially worse uh, before they improve when it comes to abortion. Uh, By that, Johnson meant that there will be states whose lawmakers obviously work very diligently uh, to codify Roe into law by ensuring abortion is available uh, through all nine months of pregnancy and even horrifically in some instances after birth, uh, then legislators and governors in more conservative states uh, obviously will approve laws that will severely restrict abortion access, if not uh, ban it altogether. Uh, So with states so opposed to one another, uh, Johnson is fearing that the cultural climate is going to become increasingly 
vitriolic. She said, this is just going to get more heated and more divisive. If anything is worth battling over, though, if anything is worth fighting over, if there's anything worth just taking it to the ground battle, it's this. It's the killing of our unborn, innocent human beings in the womb. Uh, this is it. Uh, so like I said, I think this magazine just is a is maybe a harbinger of things to come in the direction that we're going when it comes to just how divisive this issue has been, which it's already been deeply, deeply divisive. But uh, I think Johnson might be right that we're heading in, a, in an even more uh, vitriolic and divisive direction. So I think the takeaway here and why it matters is one, to be in prayer, as we've said, for the justices on the Supreme Court, uh, for lawmakers around the country, pray that God would give them uh, the courage that they need to do the right thing, to stand up for the unborn, uh, to give them wisdom and even the moral strength uh, to protect the most vulnerable among us, which is unborn children. But, you know, really just don't trust the media because they are, they're not objective and they've, <laughs> they've picked a side in this. My God, I, this, oh. When I saw that, I saw you posted this earlier today, Trey, yeah. that headline, and I'm just, all I could think about was, hey, the Moloch worshipers have entered the chat. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how you can write that with a straight face. I mean, it's it's one thing to, I don't know, I, I, still don't, I still don't even agree with this, but I can at least understand how somebody would be duped by the talking points and maybe feel like, eh, I think maybe they should be allowed to, but I don't like. Like I can at least understand that position, that kind of a sentiment heading into the abortion issue. But to sit out here and be providing links, and here's how you can get it done. I mean, it's just it's beyond the pale. And I mean, I just I when I see a headline like that, I start I kind of look up at the clouds and I'm wondering if I'm just not hearing the trumpets because I feel like it's 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 time. It's time when you start seeing headlines like that. Maybe it's just me. Well, and I think no, it's not just you. I think it brings us to a place of frustration and anger. And we've talked a lot about this and you know, there there's a lot in scripture that you actually look to and you can see, okay, this is how people end up in this position. I think you look at, you know, 2 Corinthians 4, I think it's 3 through 4. I'm just going to pull it up here because I, I want to read it. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I think that's what we're literally dealing with here. There, there's not only a blindness, but there's a blindness that propels people to embrace a truth that is not truth. It is a lie. And they believe it. And who's the father of lies? We know that the enemy is the father of lies. So we're really watching that throughout culture right now. Um, and I think the two places you see it the most are the gender discussion and also abortion, right? And I think it's going to get, as you were saying before, Trey, it's going to get it's going to get much worse. We're just at the beginning of this battle right now, even though I think people feel like it's ending because Roe could go, you know, Roe no more. Uh, but it's still going, it's going to be 50 different Roe battles happening all over the country now. But I think we have to bring ourselves back to there's a blindness. We need prayer and we're not going to be able to navigate through this or change hearts without it. All right. So that brings us to our last story. And unfortunately, this is not a positive story. It's a very sad story about a pastor in Georgia. A community is completely shocked after a murder. Uh, last Wednesday, Marita Harrell, she's 57 years old. She was found murdered in her van. <clears throat> now, she was a pastor there in Georgia. 
She led a church called Connections at Metropolitan UMC, located in Atlanta. And she really was somebody, when you look at her family and all the people around her, who spent her life trying to inspire and help other people. And she had apparently, you know, reportedly been mentoring this man, Christopher Griggs. He was 27 years old. Um, he has now been charged, arrested and charged with not only arson, but murder in this case. The warrants allege that Griggs stabbed the pastor with a kitchen knife at his home, transported her body to a secluded area, and then set her van on fire. Her body was inside. And it's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. Um, this is, I just want to talk a little bit about the pastor because a lot of times in these cases, we don't get to hear who the person was. Uh, she was a Chicago native, a wife, a mother of two, and she described herself as a Christian who daily seeks to grow in her walk with God. That's from her biography on the church website. And again, her killing has rattled the community, those around her who said that they find themselves, and I know this is relatable to so many people who go through difficult times, but one man, Vincente Scott said, Quote, at a spiritual level, you're asking God, why, what, why her? She was doing your work. Now, there are a lot of questions around this murder, especially because, again, the report is that she was helping the accused on the evening that she died. She was uh, really trying to counsel him. He had apparently been in and out of prison, trying to help him get his life on track. Uh, her daughter, Elise, said that her mother was indeed trying to counsel him. She confirmed that. Um, and that the family had had been kind of nervous about this, the work she was doing. She was helping a lot of people who were in challenging situations, and, and they were very nervous about that. But she felt called by God uh, to serve. Her daughter said, quote, she had an open, wonderful, and accepting heart, and she was always willing to learn about new people, and she loved people. She wanted to help get this guy back on track, unfortunately very different ending, starkly different conclusion than she ever could have hoped for. Um, other leaders called her passionate. They said that, again, she was really seeking to help those who were, quote, lost and left out, and she loved what she did. Um, Doris Bolden, one of the church members, um, they had a, a service yesterday to remember the pastor, and they said, quote, she said, we are angry, we are hurt, we asked questions, but as believers, as children of God, we know what he is, as I said, the great I am, and we just look to him. And so prayers for that entire community and for Harold's family, her husband especially, and her two children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think just the why it matters is that in this world, you know, there are so many challenging arenas, and there are a lot of brave people who go out of their way to try to help people navigate and survive those difficulties. And this appeared to be a woman who was bent on doing just that. And so, you know, we want to take a moment to just honor her life. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's just so tragic and sad. And when somebody who means well, and you just never think, oh man, maybe I ought to protect myself in this situation. And I don't know if she was there alone or what the case may be, but, um, it's just, it's just unbelievably sad. And I mean, it makes me think of kind of, um, Similar situation to uh, Chris Kyle when he was helping the vets who were struggling with PTSD and he t was taking the one guy to the shooting range and then the guy just shot him, Chris Kyle, and his friend. He's trying to help somebody and then they turn around and, and do something like that. It's just, it's unthinkable and it's just, I don't know how you can possibly predict when something like that is going to happen. And so, you know, I guess you can do what you can to be, to protect yourself, but ultimately it's in God's hands and, you know, she was feeling like she was doing what she needed to do to 
to follow to follow God and to serve others and so for her to be treated in that way it's just it's horrible and um definitely like you said be praying for their congregation their families and uh, everyone that's kind of impacted by that yeah you know stories like this kind of they just make you so cynical about people right like yeah. you can't i i can't trust that somebody is going to act in good faith and is not going to harm me right. or, or want to hurt a loved one. So it just, I think it, 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 it hurts everybody, right? It's not just obviously the woman who lost her life. That's obviously is the greatest hurt and the greatest impact is the, on her loved ones and family and friends and all of that, but it has a ripple effect and it, it damages other people's trust of one another because, um, you know, each story that comes in. And that's why I think social media is good in one sense. But also it's like, do we need to be aware of all these stories? We're hyper aware of everything that's going on. And it just uh, makes you leery of trusting people. So I don't know. But it's the other, the flip side of that is it's it's good that we as Christians are aware of it because it gives us more specificity in our prayers and things that we can be prayerful for and and we can take to the Lord. So, uh, yeah, I just want to echo what both of y'all said, that this is a a good opportunity, if if nothing else, a good opportunity to be in prayer for for those who are left behind. But the good news is is that we, and they in particular, know where she is, and hopefully Mm -hmm. they they find comfort in in knowing that she's now united with Christ. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for this podcast today. As always, Make sure you get on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. We'll be adding more throughout the day, and uh, we'll be praying for you as you go throughout your Monday, the rest of your Monday here. Hope it's a great one. And as always, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we will be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. We will see you then.